Greetings ladies and gents, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Retreat Hell Chapter 9.5 written by a Lithy Dragon. Teriel opened his eyes, staring disinterestedly in the white patterned ceiling above him. He took a moment to recall where he was. Not home. He sat up, drawing the blankets he had found off of himself, and turned to contemplate the dark face of the flight scrying glass. It was nothing like the Demesna of Aliath, but the manor was comfortable enough. Tyriel had spent much of the previous day studying the scrying glass and its contents, and it had been a remarkable source of information. Much of it as absolutely fiction and various forms of entertainment, but there was a whole phases, channels, whatever they are, entire sectors dedicated to education and news. He snorted, remembering the descriptions of the portal and the so-called war. For all the wonders they seem to have, they are quaint and um, ignorant. He stretched and twisted a few kinks out of his back. The couch that he'd slept on was comfortable enough, but it was no proper bed. His smooth face twisted into disgust as he considered again the notion of sleeping in the bed that it was used by animals. Maybe after thoroughly washing the stink out of the linens. He had slept in much worse places, of course, but there was no necessity now. Rising, he left the blankets on the couch and walked to the waste closet on the ground floor. Stepping over the bloodstains, he curiously cleaned and had left in the carpet. If this was my own home, I'd rip up the entire floor and be rid of this filth. But all the matters here is getting rid of the smell. I'm going to burn this place down when I'm done, anyway. He amused himself again with the indoor prubbing and pondered how the dumb creatures had managed to achieve such a feat without magic. Not that it required any particular sophistication. Gravity does most of the work regardless of the system. He swept the house for a previous day and ensured that he had eliminated all potential threats and inconveniences, and also revealed a few more interesting artifacts. There were several scrying artifacts around, though none as large as the one in the main room. Most were locked in some way and could not bypass the cursory investigation, and the ones that were not were simply smaller versions of the large one. Morning absolutions complete, he wandered into the kitchen, marveling again at the simple recreations of proper spellcraft, all without a detectable mana usage. The lights are all point sources and no ambient light generation at all, and all of their point lights seem to require a physical connection to something. He had disconnected one of the limbs from where it was tethered and socketed to the wall, baffled by the metal prongs, and the metal wires that he found inside the tether was cut open. Perhaps they have found some way to channel mana through common metals, but not even the most efficient constructs can prevent even a trace of mana bleed. And even when inactive, the spell structure still remains and reflects the detectable resonance. He flicked the lights a few more times before leaving them off. The windows provided plenty of ambient light, and there was something about the point lights that bothered him. He had barely set foot in the kitchen when piercing chime rang throughout the house. He spun around, partially drawing his sword and instinct, for recognition dawned on him. Damnable devices, he snorted, all but throwing his blade back into its sheath. He cursed the artifacts that had been lighting up and ringing at random points throughout the day and night. The first time, he had stayed on alert for nearly an hour, thinking it was some kind of alarm. Study and patience had quickly changed the view of one of the annoyance, as they would randomly start bleating an aggravating tone for several seconds, then stop. Sometimes they would start again almost immediately. The most he counted was four times in a row. 
Unsure of what function they served and cautious about fiddling with unknown magics, he waited until the initial tone had stopped sounding to investigate. Maybe I should cut the tethers for all of them. At least it would spare me the annoyance of these ones. He reached the call box as the housewife chime stopped. He waited. Sure enough, a few moments later, another device chimed upstairs. Most of them were linked together, but some were independent. These would light up with pictures, alien scripts, or flashing symbols when they chimed, but they appeared to be locked with Tyrion trying to interact with them while they were silent. Many of the presentations of the scrying box showed people talking through such devices, but experimenting with them when they are not ringing only produces a dozen buzz and limited range of grating tones. Do they actually allow persons to talk to another, or is it a metaphor? He rolled his eyes, putting contemplation of those artifacts off for a later time, and opened the door of the cold box. These people possess quite an impressive amount of food, he thought, rummaging through the contents of the cold box. Some of it is even palatable, though a large portion of it contains a form of meat. Disgusting animals. Pulling out a pair of reddish fruits and a bowl of noodles that he'd figured out how to cook the night before, he sat down for his morning meal. There is much in the main house that will still require much more study, and the scrying box is an endless source of information. But today, I'll investigate the adjacent building and the carriage parked in front of it. His ruminations were interrupted by a low rumble from outside, the crunch of gravel, a faint whine of metal on metal, and he froze mid-bite at the sound, then quickly swallowed. Quietly slipping back into the main room, he retrieved his staff and crept up to one of the windows and what he had come to think of as the front of the house. Peeking past the curtains, he frowned. Another carriage had arrived. This one was shorter, black and white, and had a narrow bar across the top. Two humans stepped out, both wearing crisp tan green uniforms. Thankful that he had not left the great picture device on, nor any of the lights, he quickly and quietly double-checked the locks on all the doors. They were relatively simple mechanical things, but also remarkably sophisticated, and he had taken the time to ensure that they were all set the day before. A quiet round of the house ensured that the entrances were secured and the windows latched. Not wanting to draw more attention to himself, he hoped that the dark and secure home would deter these uniformed humans and send them back to where they came from. Why are they here so soon? Was his family that important? He rolled his eyes. How typical of my fortunes if that was a local lord's manner. The humans reached the front door and a chime sounded throughout the house. A few moments later, it rang again. Still receiving nothing but silence, they tried a few more times, while also knocking on the door and calling out, Mr. and Mrs. Stella, the San Diego County Sheriff's Office, we have sent to check on you. Greeted by silence, they called out again, knocking louder. When no answer was forthcoming, they paused and discussed amongst themselves. Tyrion strained, but could not make out the words through the door. A moment later, and one began to walk around the house. Tyrion heard more chatter that was scratchy and didn't seem to come from either of them. Tyrion could hear them both talk briefly and scratchy voice while separated, though he still couldn't hear them clear enough to make out any words. The one at the door started knocking again, ringing the chime a couple more times, but Tyrion shifted his attention to the one moving behind the house. The man peered into the curtained window as he walked around the house and tried the other doors, including the big sliding glass door that Tyrion made his entrance through. Tyrion watched him through the gaps in the curtains, careful to keep himself in the shadows. 
He blended, activated, and the manner this world was plentiful as his own, but limited in just a natural connection to either to replenish his stalls. He had to be careful to conserve his manner as much as he could. After a few moments of trying to peer through the glass door, the uniformed human sighed in frustration. He seemed about to give up. When he turned around to survey the yard, he froze, his hand dropping to his weapon. Staring across the yard, he talked into something pinned to his shoulder as he walked away from the door. Tyriel crept closer to the door, trying to see what drew the human's attention. His eyes fell on the broken corpse of the beast that first attacked him, and he cursed himself for his carelessness. The man nudged the beast, investigating its corpse, then turned to the glass door with a steely gaze. Tyriel felt those eyes were piercing right through him and despite the curtains and his act of blend. He spoke into his shoulder device once more, and this time Tyriel could barely make out his words. Dispatch 56 Paul 5 11 13 Family Dog looks like a possible 246 10 88. He drew out his weapon and took a step towards the door, proceeding inside. Tyriel was debating his options when the second human came around the corner, weapon drawn. Not wanting to risk a confrontation with two armed soldiers or guards, he withdrew from the window. The two humans circled the house, and a moment later, he heard a splintering crash as one of the other doors on the other side of the kitchen being smashed in. Engaging full invisibility, he quietly slipped up the stairs, observing the humans quickly and efficiently swept through the house. Sheriff's office, entering. One called out. Food on the counter. Pantry clear. Bite out of the apple. Looks fresh. Somebody still here? Maybe, or just left. The faint clop of their boots on the hard kitchen floor became muffled by the carpet. Tyriel crouched at the top of the stairs, watching. Crap, blood on the floor. One of them crouched down while the other covered him, edging around the room to keep an eye on all the entrances. The human covering the room reached and hold the object pinned to his shoulder. Dispatched 565, code 3, probable 187. The object on his shoulder squawked and the voice came out. Copy 565, 563's en route. The crouching human frowned at the streaks on the wall and smeared stain. Looks like somebody tried to clean it up. Before or after they slept in the couch. Blood looked smeared towards the stairs. The crouching human stood up, his weapon raised towards the stairs. The other human stepped around the couch to join him, his weapon sweeping the room and back towards the stairs. Tyriel cursed himself again for not cleaning the mess thoroughly. He retreated down the hall, slipping into the son's room as the humans followed the blood stains upstairs. Bloody splatter, big pool of blood. Somebody died here. Crap. Stepping behind the furniture in the son's room, he dropped his true invisibility, relying just on his blending to conserve manner. He listened to the humans move down the hall, clearing the rooms as they went. They are efficient, he thought, picturing their movements as he listened to the doors opening and their clipped chatter. The blood trail leads in there, slowly peeking a sliver of an eye around the chest of drawers he crouched behind, a caught a glimpse of them moving into the girl's room. Holy mother of God! Jesus Christ! There was a long moment of silence. Peeking further around the corner, Tyrrell saw no sign of movement out of the other room. Taking advantage of the distraction, he began to creep out of the boy's room, re-engaging his true invisibility. The precaution was worth the cost. Dispatch 565 confirmed 187, 1144, count of four. Copy 565, 563 should be 1097, 1034. The two doors were directly adjacent to each other, so Tyrrell caught a glimpse of the two humans' backs as he stepped into the hallway. 
If they weren't in communication with someone else, he dismissed the thought as a distraction and quickly moved towards his escape. He was only two steps down the hall when the floor beneath his feet dared to give away an unmistakable creak. He froze. Crap, they're still here. He carefully turned around, stepping away from the treacherous spot on the floor. As the humans advanced out of the girls' room, weapons at the ready, they paused, seeing an empty hallway. One signaled the other, and they slowly moved down the hall, placing their feet silently on the carpet. He held his breath, not daring to make a sound. He knew he couldn't maintain true invisibility for much more longer, but he had to. He took a step back to avoid being walked into. Then another, and another, and another. Reek. All three of them froze. He felt the eyes boring through him, and he knew the ploy was ended. He acted, dropping his invisibility and sending a double shard burst into the chest of the lead human. His weapon discharged and a deafening bang, the projectile pinging off his shields and depleting an alarming amount of their strength. The lead human fell back, the second human, Ariel turned and ran. The second human's weapon barked its booming roar. Bang! 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 The first shot missed entirely. The second and third shot slapped his shield and nearly depleted it. The third shot punched through what remained. It shattered the scraped across the armor on his back, sending fragments into the back of his arm. Another step and he was around the corner. The human shouted as he thundered down the stairs. All pretense of stealth gone. 11.99, 11.99, shots fired, officer down, officer down. Teriel turned another corner into the kitchen. He had enough presence of mind to snag a fruit on his way through before sprinting out the door as the humans had smashed in. He tore across the yard and into the trees, cover, but he did not stop. He cleared the ridge and ran down the hill. The portal is no option for me. I must escape and evade detection until they give up looking for me. He slowed his breakneck pace as he neared the bottom of the hill, as much to keep from tripping and killing himself as to catch his breath. Glancing about, he headed north. In the distance, he heard a haunting wail. Is there nowhere they haven't built? Tyrell crouched atop a ridge. Using a sparse scrubber's cover, he scanned the horizon. It was closer to the house that he had fled from in the morning than he cared for, but it was the tallest ridge around. Below him, to the east, there was at least a great highway. To the south, he knew lay cities and towns. To the north, across a small river, he had found more cities and towns, forcing him to double back. Casting his gaze to the west, he frowned. It was a minor trick to magnify his vision, a spell form so simple and refined that it barely took any manner. There were more mountains that way, to be sure, with a number of open spaces, and more towns and cities with roads and hamlets and farms and cottages scattered around. Even further he glimpsed between the mountains was a sea. He had no way of knowing how large it was, but based on how far north and south he could see those glimpses, it wasn't small. Why did they come so fast? He wondered, slipping deeper into the brush and one of the flying machines thundered through the sky nearby. The strange, chiming devices seemed to be in some sort of communication spell struct, but how did they know to send people so quickly? He glanced across the intervening valley to the house in question. Nearly three lie away. Dozens of carriages all over and a hundred people were swarming the area around the house. Why have they mustered a response so quickly? With a snort, he turned away, casting his gaze east to the greater mountains that lay in the distance. There, I can hide there for the time, at least. He glanced down, and the great highway beneath him, I must find a way across. 
he made his way to the bridge, double-backing on his trail, avoiding the roads and sparse as they were, and continued north until he reached the river. He kept a grooting pace as he turned to follow it northward, winding his way up the mountains and back towards the great highway. More whirling constructs thundered overhead, and several carriages with flashing lights atop passed by the nearby roads. He takes no chances and maintains his blend at all times. Even as he slings through the bushes, he reaches a great highway, and nearly give up hope when he realized that the river turned to flow alongside it rather than passing underneath. Closer inspection, however, revealed that there was a low gully in the highway crossing on a pair of molded stone bridges, giving him a perfect place to cross. He crept through the trees and under the bridges, taking care to avoid the rows of houses that almost butt up against the highway. He discovered a set of strangely manicured fields. Unsure of their purpose, he skirted along the edge of the bizarre fields and the mountains to their south. As the afternoon draws to an end, he found a relatively secluded cluster of trees, past the strange city of houses and manicured fields, and settled down to catch his breath. Examining his arm for the first time, he grimaced at the pain and gently prodded the holes in his torn armor. Superficial but potentially debilitating, he gingerly stuffed some ointment into the wound and then wrapped a bandage around his arm, armor and all. Proper treatment would have to wait until later. He sat back and heaved a weary sigh, digging a packet of food out of his pack. Not much later, he savored the field ration. It was hardly a grand dinner of Epsilon, but it always amused him that it tasted good when one was hungry. He swallowed, shaking his head. By my count, I traveled nearly twenty lies since this morning. Some of that was doubling back twice, but still, a legion would be hard-pressed to march as far with significantly beating their mana stores. Another construct thundered overhead in the distance as the afternoon became evening. Emperor's bones, they are determined. He frowned, stowing the remains of his ration packet and reluctantly heaving his pack onto his back. They appear to be trying to cut me off. I need to get further away. Heaving himself to his feet, he continued to the east at a much more reasonable pace, taking care to stick to the cover. If not for blending and invisibility, they might have seen me already. That must have been more than a local lord's family. He had barely gone a hundred key when the wind shifted and he catches the sound in the distance, a bark and a brief howl. He glanced over his shoulder. That sounded like that accursed beast. Another bark, another baying howl. There's more than one of them. He hesitated a moment longer, then turned east and runs. Tyrell gasped for breath. He desperately needed to rest, but he could barely dare to stop. The beasts were gaining on him. They must be scenting me. What magic do they have to create such beasts? Dropping down to the slope of another ridge, he knew that he was not far from the edge of the greater mountains and the wilderness that he could lose himself in. If I can lose these damnable creatures. At the bottom of the hollow on the next ridge, he spied a stream, taking a moment to grasp for breath. He snarls a grin, pulling a bloody cloth from his arm. A brief search revealed a suitable log. He tied the bloody strips of cloth to the log and a light cloak pulled from his bag. He heaved the small log over his shoulder and splashed it through the stream for several key before setting the log into the water. Spending some precious mana, he ensured that it would float and gave it a minor blending enchantment, then sent it on its way. He splashed a few more steps down the stream before dunking himself as best he could and splashing back the way he came. As the stream started to narrow, he dunked himself again, then took off at the ridge, careful to leave no trail of sign of his passage. 
Scoting yet another damnable orchard, this one at least seemed to be in the middle of nowhere, he finally reached the edge of the mountains that he was seeking. It only took depleting half my reserves of mana crystals to keep myself fast enough to outpace the humans. He stifled the grumble and made his way up the hollow towards the beginning reach of the greater mountain range. Utterly exhausted, he decided that he was secluded enough to risk sleep. He finds shelter in a cluster of trees that speak to each other, but not to him. No, no masters. Cursed things. He thinks as he lays down, closing his eyes to sleep. We will teach them their place. His eyes snap open, shadows of the dreamscape staggering from his mind. There was again, baying in the distance, faint flashes of light, maybe a lee and a half down the hollow. Do they not rest? He heaved himself up with a grunt and started running. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.